Let me introduce myself. My name is Rich Fino, and I'm on the care team of this church. As you know, we've been journeying through a three-week series now, a three-week series on God at work, discovering why our work matters to God. And and John kicked us off two weeks ago in, in talking about God modeled work to us when he created the world, created us, And he showed us what work looked like, and he said work was good. And then there was the fall, and we know that work has become hard for many and difficult. And last week, Stephanie did a wonderful job of talking about our identity in Christ and talking about the reality of the tensions at work. And this week, I'm going to dovetail what you just witnessed in that wonderful video those honest stories of people's calling in the midst of their workplace. Now, when I prepared my message this week, uh, the first time I actually saw this video was late yesterday afternoon. And I was amazed at how much the words and the things that were rolling through my line paralleled the words in this video. Just a few highlights. Calling is a place of alignment. It's kind of this magical, mystical place. It's a place where we're personally involved in the hard things in people's lives. In their divorces, the loss of their jobs, the the loss of their homes. That calling is, is in the hard places in people's lives. It's a call to take care of people. It's a call to look and listen and to see opportunities to minister to those in need. It's a place where it's not about us. I don't know about you, but when we often meet someone the first time, especially at a party or social gathering, what's one of the first questions we ask them, maybe the second or third? What do you do for work? How do you make a living? What's your career? And what happens is, is we all make certain certain decisions about those people, certain assumptions about that person, don't we? Now, for example, whenever I go to see somebody in a psychiatric ward, there's usually the reality that there's some restrictions. And so I'll come to the front desk and and the nurse, social worker will say, "Uh, family and clergy uh, can visit. Are you family? And I say, no. And I can hear in their mind the next question. Some actually verbalize it. You're not clergy, are you? (laughs) I whip out my billfold and show my identification. Just Friday after doing a service, a woman came up to me and said, Father. (laughs) I knew the context of that. And then she, I said to her, ma'am, I'm not your father. And she said, well, what do I call you, reverend or pastor? I said, I'm really comfortable with rich. She said, why? And I said, because I think you'll have a whole bunch of expectations of me that I can't meet. Isn't it true that we define people by what they do? But in the body of Christ, we are not defined by what we do, but we are defined by who we are and by whose we are. And who we are is a prized child of God, holy and dearly beloved. That's who we are. That's how we define each other as children of God. We are brothers and sisters with one another. 
We have been grafted into the family of God by Jesus. And so that's who we are. We are not what we do, irregardless of what it is. We are who we are because of God, and we're his children. Now, I've reflected back on many of the jobs I've had. I I could tell you about my first job was when I was five years old. Uh, I had to work on the Fino work day every Saturday. It wasn't a day uh, for fun. It was a work day. But I I don't want to tell you about all that. I just want to tell you a few of those jobs that I had. I was a paper boy uh, at the age of eight. I was a house painter, both through college and graduate school. I I worked as a commercial fisherman in Alaska for a while. I um, I was a youth minister for a number of years. I, I was a marriage and family counselor. And then for some of you, I, I've been privileged to do ministry in this church. Privileged to do ministry. I was a window washer. I was a janitor. But what I've discovered is that my heart beats the fastest. It beats the fastest and the hardest when I'm called into places to come alongside of others in difficult situations where I am privileged to be asked. I don't deserve to be there, but I get asked to be there. That's when my heart beats fast. And my heart also beats fast whenever I'm in a place where we can equip and train and encourage others and empower them to do ministry. To to act on the priesthood of all believers, that pumps me up. I get fired up. See, I feel great alignment with God when I'm training and equipping. Those are the sweet spots for me. All of us have a desire for meaning in our call. Whether our call is our job or not, we want to be purposeful. We want to have meaning. In 2013, there was a survey a survey that discovered that that the results in the 80s that 61% of Americans found satisfaction in their jobs, purpose, and meeting. Recently, that same survey was given, and the results were that less than 30% of us feel good about what we're doing. Less than 30% of us. I had breakfast this week with a guy, a financial advisor, I was a guy who enjoys his work. He's good at it. He likes the people that he serves. But it was fascinating for me to be with this friend of mine because I could visually see his blood pressure going up as he spoke to me. And he wasn't speaking about his job as a financial advisor. He was talking about being on a board of a hospitality house. This guy got all fired up in front of me. He got all animated. He said, Rich, I have dreams. I have ideas. I'm on this board. It's a nonprofit. It's developing youth, underprivileged youth. And this guy's fired up. He's like, I had to say to him, hey, settle down a little bit here. I'm worried about you blowing a gasket. This guy was so excited. Why? Because it's a place of call for him. It's a place where he can use his giftedness to make a difference. Now, I want you to watch this video with me for a second. It's a video of a man named Bob Goff. He's written a book called Love Does. And I would encourage you to read this book. It's incredible. We heard him speak for the first time at the Leadership Summit at Willow Creek. And and I want you to just listen to this fired up guy talk about call. 
I want to move from just agreeing with Jesus to doing stuff. Because it was always a lawyer who was trying to set up Jesus, right? He said, like, what's the big commandment? And it was like, love God with all your heart and mind and, and, and love your neighbor. And so I've got a little yellow stickum on my bathroom mirror in San Diego. And it says three things. It says, love God, love people, and do stuff. You want to rock your businesses and the faith communities you're in and your neighborhood? Just do stuff. This guy took a knee and asked Lindsay Goff if he could marry her. And, uh, and I told Lindsay, since, ever since she was bigger than a trout, I, I've been telling her that someday some guy's going to want to marry you. And if I like that guy, he and I will build a chapel for you together. And if I don't like the guy, we'll just never get around to it. (laughs) But this guy took a knee, and for the last two and a half months, we've been building this chapel together. And to give away, you know why he did it? I don't want a son-in-law, and you don't want employees. I want a friend. And you know what? When I did stuff, I got one. And he's terrific. The more times I just do stuff, things happen. But we got to figure out what's the right stuff to do. You guys are able to do so many things. The real question is this. What were you made to do? And do a lot of that. You guys could put a shuttlecraft together in here if we started passing out the parts. But like, but you're able to because you're so high functioning. But what I'm trying to do is tease out what is it that Jesus made me to do? Then if I do a bunch of that, then I'll be a leader. Ephesians 4, Paul's in a jail cell. He says to his friends, live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Now, don't you live his and don't you live hers. It'll come off like this bad Elvis impression. Live a life worthy of the calling you've received. When we do that stuff, it changes everything because some of us believe this lie. And some of the people that work for us that we're leading, believe this lie that we're our biggest mistake. Like somehow we are defined by who we used to be, right? You guys can keep your iPhones. You know, this is a real camera. This is like a, no, okay. All right, here, smile. Remember these things? Like the the film cost, it's like 30 bucks a shot now. So, (laughs) you got a paper round. But remember these things, how they develop over time? Like if you want to figure out what is it that you were made to be as a leader in your community, all the places God's put you right now, let it develop over time. I want to rush it. I want to like, like I want to just like do it and you end up blowing it when you like, if you try to rush it, but just let it develop over time. And that's that thing. Remember, we see through a mirror dimly but then face to face. And it's going to come into focus for us, but it's going to take a little time. Guy's fired up. He makes me look subdued. (laughs) Live a life worthy of your calling as you perceive it. It's interesting. Bob's a lawyer. But you know what his real calling is? He's created a ministry called Restore International. It's a nonprofit that fights injustice against children in Uganda and India. That's his calling. 
He's a lawyer to support his calling. See, God, call is what we were made to do. It, it develops over time, and once we discover it, then we've got to do stuff. It, it's a place where God has wired us, and it connects deeply to our soul. It's when God is using all of our talents, our unique gifting, our intellect, our abilities, our passions to serve God and to serve others. And when we realize it, shazam, hallelujah, we're right in the sweet spot that God created us to be. I love Frederick Beekner. He's one of my favorite writers, and he said it this way. The kind of work God usually calls us to is the kind of work that, A, that you need most to do, and B, the world needs to have done. It's a place God calls you to. And it's a place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. Whether our call is in the workplace or outside, we are called to exercise these two biblical principles. This is the calling on all of us. Whether we're tired or retired, it doesn't matter. This is the calling on all of us in every place in our life. And it comes first to us from Paul's words in Colossians 3.17 and verse 23. Whatever you do, whatever your calling is, do it in word or deed, all in the name of Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Whatever you do, do it with all of your heart. Why? Because we're working for the Lord. He's our boss, not man. See, it's all about an audience of one. So whatever you say or do, wherever you are, has to reflect Jesus to others. Because you're trying to do it in his name. So what Paul is saying is that we're to become mirrored reflections of Jesus to others. To the people in our daily lives, we're to be a picture of Jesus to them. And if we were to take on the image of Jesus, then there wouldn't be as much competition. And as much pride. And as much comparing myself to someone else, always wondering how I'm doing. Because I'm doing it for the audience of one. Paul said this in Philippians. He said, even though he was God, Jesus took on the form of a servant. God's nature is the nature of a servant. And then Jesus did stuff. So we're to do stuff. We're to give encouragement. We're to listen to our fellow workers. We're to see the pain of those in the elevator in our senior complex and engage that. We're to write a note to bring a loaf of bread. We're to visit the sick and visit our neighbor. Why? Because we are called in our calling to be servants. And the second principle is this, found in John. John 13, in the very words of Jesus. And this is what Jesus said in verse 34 and 35. A new command I give you to love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. It's not optional, Jesus is saying. And how are we to love? The way Jesus loves us. We're to do all of this, Jesus said in verse 35, 
By doing this, all men will know that we are his disciples if we love one another. Jesus is saying that we're to love others as much as he loves in a radical, sacrificial, countercultural way that we're to be copycats of Jesus. That's how we're to love others. We're to figuratively wash the feet of those around us. We're to come alongside of them in pain to be a non-anxious presence, to listen, to encourage, to serve them. See, love isn't about the comfortable. It's not about those we know. It's about those that we've judged because of what their job is. It's about those who look different than us and act different than us and believe different than us. We're called to love the marginalized and the forgotten and all people. How? The way Jesus loves them. And so I would encourage us all to wonder about our calling. It's a showing up love in hard places and scary places. And it doesn't matter if we're a lawyer or a student. It doesn't matter if we're retired. We have the same call to serve and to love like Jesus. I'd like to invite a friend of mine, a a woman who's only been involved in our church for about a year, and her name is Judy Pearson. And Judy came um, to our church a little over a year ago in late December of last year. Came here for the first time because of a horrible tragedy and an unexpected event in her life. And I just want to ask you, Judy, to tell us a little bit about that event and and tell us about some of the things that followed that. Okay. Um, In December of 2012, I took my three boys um, to Southern California for a Christmas uh, holiday break. And the first night there, my 23-year-old son was hit by a car and and was killed instantly. So uh, my 20-year-old son was with him. Uh, my six-year-old son and I were in the room. We're just it was just right on, right in front of the hotel, but uh, it just basically you know stops your world at that moment, um, and really nothing at that point really matters anymore, and it, everything as you knew it really is is different. So um, we were sitting outside at the uh, at the accident scene for hours with the police trying to to reconstruct it, and and I just remember staring at, at this car that hit him, thinking. God, I need help more than I ever needed it before. It was just a different, different thing. I've asked for a lot of help for little things, big things, but this one was bigger than, it, than me, and I knew I, I needed something. I didn't know how I was going to get it, but I knew I needed something bigger if I was to, to be able to go on. Judy, um, through her sister Vicki, uh, called CPC because Vicki had heard that this is a place where we would love people at moments like this, so... We ended up having Drew's service here on a Saturday morning. And it was really the second time that Judy had been in our church and her family had never been here before. Just tell us about some of the ways that impacted you and the ways people served yeah. you and cared for you. Well, I, I lived in Minnesota for six years and I drove um, by uh, up Highway 100 every day. Didn't even know this church existed. I was mentally in, on a conference call or just somewhere else. And so it was... Uh, it was amazing that to find that it, it had been right here the whole time and uh like i said no one in our family knew of it but it was during the holidays a lot of people were on on breaks and yet um cpc stopped everything to make this work for us 
uh, Rich made it work and met with our family to, to give us the service we wanted. We wanted to make sure it was bright, it was uplifting, it had an amazing band. Um, the band was there as well, and they, uh, they, they moved their schedules around to make sure that they could be there. And it was just uh, incredible how many people who didn't know us, who didn't know anything about us, who knew we weren't members of the church, really did everything to make us feel like family and to make us feel like we really mattered. It, it just made such a difference. Sanctuary was full of young adults, high schoolers. I remember a whole section over here, and, and they actually cried more. They used up more Kleenex than any service we've ever had here. The church was full. And amazingly, Judy shows up the next morning along with some of Drew's friends. Saturday's the service, Sunday Ju- Judy's here. This church uh, really served and really cared through Rich Larson and the music and through Bill Davis and through our grief ministry team. It, it just showed up and, and served Judy and her family in this horrible, difficult time. Tell us about some other ways, some relationships that you've developed and places that you've engaged. Well, um, Rich connected me with Meg and uh, she had been through a loss several years ago and uh, and asked if I wanted to go to lunch and uh, just knew what I was going through and knew I would need some additional support above and beyond your family. As much as I have a great extended family that helps, they're, they're, they're grieving too. So it was really nice to have her to, to, to lean on. She, um, in addition to taking me to lunch, she um, found another grief group for me that was really dealt with just children. And uh, it was in Golden Valley. And she got me the name of it, the date of the, you know, the, date of the, of the uh, meetings, the directions, and then babysat for my son as well. So I didn't have to do anything other than just show up and, and kind of be ministered to. It just made a big, huge difference. She would send me an email. She'd send me a card. She'd send me a text or call me. Just seemed like at the right times or when we were anniversarying some of the, you know, the firsts um, with, without him. It was birthday, his graduation, college graduation, Easter, Christmas, some of those things. She just always knew when I might need that extra um, support, and she was there for me. So it was really, really neat. Judy's been here almost every Sunday with Alex ever since. In fact, a couple uh, weeks ago, they were in Florida, and Alex said, Mom, um, Pastor Rich is going to be mad at us. She said, why? <laughs> well, because we're not at church this Sunday. <laughs> There's a kid that gets it right there. I'll tell you that. Do you hear that? you hear that? You should feel that way too, but... But anyways, Judy, you've, um, you've built relationships. You're here all the time. It's so great to have you here as part of our family. But, uh, but you said that, that um, well, first of all, tell us just quickly what, where you engaged the church this fall in November. Um, Meg had mentioned to me that she'd gone to Zambia several years ago, or to Africa several years ago, and, and, uh, and told me a little bit about the mission trips. I'd always wanted to go on one. But uh, when she extended the offer to me uh, to go in November to Zambia, I uh, jumped on it and decided it was time to just do something different. And, and uh, it was, like everyone says, just uh, an experience of a lifetime. It just, uh, it's one of those life-changing things to see people that are so terribly different uh, than you and, and got so much more, um, less, I should say, and yet they're grateful, um, amazing people. So it was, it was a great trip. So when I asked Judy to do this, I told her to take great courage. And uh, she said, I really want to do it, Rich, because I want to thank people. And she said, because I'm in the midst of 
discovering God's call on my life where I might serve and love others like she's been loved. Let's pray. Holy Nass of God, thank you for showing up for Judy through so many gifted lay folks called in this church to love her. And I thank you, God, in the midst of the darkest tragedy, you've given great hope. Thank you for your redeeming and healing and restoring love. Thank you for Judy and her story, for Austin and Alex. And pray now, God, that you would continue to walk with her and heal her and that you would help her to find that place to discover what she was made to do for you. Uh, Thank you, God, for how you serve us and love us. In your name I pray, amen.